This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong here with... Mary Lucas, representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well. It feels like spring outside. I'm very excited. The dogs are all getting outside and, you know, getting their winter exercise off. It's been, it's been nice out. My gar- But is the garden blooming too soon? I feel like things are starting to pop up and I'm a little nervous they're all going to die. Every year I have I have a battle with weeds in my lawn, and I, I felt like I was I was doing good. I was like, hey, I'm going to get my pre-emergent down, make sure I – but, the, oh, man, those weeds were ready. They were ahead of the game. They yeah. were, is they were prepared like, for me. This is like the, the winter of North Carolina. You know, it's this fake spring we're having. I'm sure it's going to go back. And, oh, and the Hurricanes game is this weekend, and, you know, is the ice all melting? Who knows? <laughs> Fun stuff. Well, we have uh, uh, very often on this show, we talk about caregiving journeys and people tell their stories. And we have a a special guest lined up for us today. I'm very, very happy to welcome onto the show, Mary Lucas (laughs) from Transitions Life Care, who's going to share her caregiving story. Mary, let's talk about this. Um, You know, for um, a long time on this program, we've heard reference to your grandfather and um, we're very sorry to say that he passed away a, mm-hmm. a few months ago. Uh, let's let's talk about your journey. Yeah, definitely. I, I've mentioned it in bits and pieces throughout the show and different, you know, as we talk about different subjects like placement and, and facilities and um, palliative care and hospice. And um, he passed away in December, sadly. But, you know, it, it made me reset and think about our journey as a caregiver. And I wanted to share um, some of the ways that we advocated for him and um, and how we navigated the journey. Uh, we first learned about hospice and palliative care with my grandmother. She was in the hospital, his wife, of uh, 67 years. And when she was in the hospital, um, they, they were telling us about hospice, and there's this inpatient unit, and just probably where she needs to go because her symptoms are unmanageable. And she went there and passed away after about a week and a half there. And um, that was my first experience with hospice. It was um, very eye-opening to what that looks like. And, you know, a lot of people don't have the benefit of experiencing it earlier uh, in their journey, and um, I wish we did. And so when it came time for my grandfather, who was having troubles with heart failure, he started to show signs uh, in his legs with wounds. Um, We called in home health to take care of those. Um, But we also started talking about with him about wanting to stay out of the hospital. What are his wishes? Um, And we opened up that conversation, and he very clearly said, I never want to go to the hospital again. He had one a uh, long stay where they talked to him about heart failure. These are the signs. This is why you're here. Um, you have a lot of fluid buildup, it, it, and it's reaching levels that are unmanageable. We need to keep you at – if you want to stay at home, these are the things we need to do. And in comes palliative care, um, which was – new for us. I've never heard of the word palliative care. Um, it was a very strange thing, um, but we put him on palliative care to keep him at home. 
to, to honor those wishes. So he spent about two years on palliative care, um, which is amazing support. We had a nurse practitioner who visited him regularly. Um, the benefit of them coming to the house, the first thing the nurse practitioner did was go to his refrigerator uh, and say, you cannot be eating pork rinds uh, <laughs> for snack every day. That's not what we're going to be doing. Um, you, you know, we need to take a look at all the pie and ice cream in your fridge. Let's not, we can't be doing that. Uh, you need to cut out some of the salt in your diet. Um, she was able to really nail down on some of the triggers that were causing his heart failure to worsen um, and, and really get them under control, which was amazing. He dropped in weight. Um, he started to manage his diet better. Uh, we were able, with her help, also to look around the room and say, you need handlebars here. How about a bedside commode um, to help you in the middle of the night if you aren't able to get up very easily? Um, so she was also to help us. She also helped us look at the equipment we needed and supplies that we needed to help him manage um, his heart failure, which was really, really wonderful to have that person coming into our home regularly. Um, she also set up our goals of care, uh, which was very important to him, um, to not go to the hospital again. He did not want to be a full code. You know, if if he had a stroke or a heart attack, he did not want he didn't want any life-saving measures. Um, he knew his baseline. He knew what he wanted, um, and that was very important. And our nurse practitioner from the palliative care team helped us set that up. So that was a really important step for us in his journey and advocating for, for what he wanted. I want uh, to take a, a quick step back. Yeah. Um, so you said you had never heard of palliative care before. Mm-hmm. How did that come up? Was it su- suggested by a doctor, by the hospital team? Did he bring it up? And how did you make the decision that we want to go forward with this? That's a really good question. I We were in the hospital with him for one long stay um, and actually transitioned, sent in a palliative care team. And at our local hospitals, there are palliative care teams in the hospital. Um, you just have to ask your nurse or the social worker or case manager, um, the doctor who is attending on your um, loved one's care for a palliative care consult while you're at the hospital. Um, and someone from um, transitions or someone from the palliative care team at the hospital will come and visit with you and talk about what palliative care is, um, and they can set you up with palliative care at discharge from the hospital. So it was a really easy process for us to get on palliative care. Um, We left the hospital. We had an appointment at home already set up, which was amazing. Um, And it was really, really nice to be able to um, transition out of the hospital and know that we had extra support outside of his cardiologist and primary care doctor. that palliative care physician, uh, uh, nurse practitioner, also worked with his cardiologist and worked with his primary care doctor to coordinate his care. So if we ever noticed, you know, his meds needed shifting, the palliative care doctor could see that in the home, like when his fluid was building up in his legs. Let's try to adjust this. I'll talk to your cardiologist. Um, and she did a lot of the communication back and forth and sending her notes to the cardiologist and the primary care doctor to let them know and keep them updated on his care, what she was seeing so that they could adjust meds as needed. And, um, and, and it was just really well coordinated. It's, it was an amazing service and really helped us in his journey and advocating for him and, and the things that he needed. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, uh, going into this, I wouldn't have thought of, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, before this show, palliative care was just kind of a term that I kind of maybe knew of, but had no, like I've heard of it before, but didn't really know the scope of it. And to know that that's, that's available and that how impactful that was. 
uh, for you guys as caregivers is huge. Yeah, absolutely. I think that something that was really important with palliative care is they they knew his baseline too. So seeing him all the time and so often when he went downhill, to the common eye, it might not have been, you know, to, to us, it was shocking when he started to go downhill, even just slightly. We could hear he was a little bit out of breath. His fluid was retaining a little bit more. Um, and we saw the changes and the palliative care doctor could easily see the changes because she knew his baseline. Um, and she knew that these are these are things that are different, and maybe it's time we talk about hospice. Um, and so having that extra layer of support there to be able to help us through that transition process to hospice was also really important. Um, you know, his regular cardiologist maybe wouldn't have noticed, you know, these little slight changes um, because he wasn't seeing him all the time. He wasn't seeing him at home sitting in his chair out of breath. Um, he was seeing him in the office, which you could relate someone out of breath maybe from trying to get to the car to the second floor of the cardiology office. Um, So it was important also that they saw his baseline and knew that it was time for for hospice. Um, And, you know, I think um, that was really important to us. And um, I want to dive a little bit further into the hospice admission process and what that looked like for us. It's kind of a um, scary thing to some people, but it's really not something to be intimidated by. Um, It is uh, a very easy process and something that I can't iterate enough. You should do it sooner rather than later. Um, We were very fortunate to be on palliative care and make that transition very easily um, into hospice and, and kind of have someone holding our hand the whole way. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, getting started early. I mean, even if it's something that you decide, hey, we don't need this right now. Right. Uh, it's good to have ventured down that road a little bit and be able to anticipate and be able to know, okay, well, well, now's the time when we want to bring this in, as opposed to uh, being on the other end of the spectrum where you're, you're waiting too long or you're sitting there kicking yourself saying, man, I w- wish we had... Uh, gone down this road sooner. I wish we would have gotten the ball rolling sooner. So uh, that's a great point. And we're going to continue our conversation with Mary. She's sharing her caregiving story, and we'll continue that right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. It's a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas of Transitions Life Care, and we're talking about Mary's story, her caregiving journey with her grandfather. And Mary, you know, we've talked about your grandfather a lot on the show, and we mm-hmm. were just kind of discussing, um, uh, I guess, sort of the the beginning and kind of middle of your grandfather's caregiving journey and mm-hmm. the decision to go on palliative care. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to take a step back last thing. I, I think I want to take an even further step back now. Yeah. Real quick, um, you know, you, you've been giving your side of the story, but mm-hmm. tell me about the situation uh, with your family and how you guys are working together to provide care. Because it's it's not just you that's yeah. making all yeah. the calls and calling all the shots. There's there's more parties involved here. 
Absolutely. I think um, that's a really important point. Um, I definitely was not the only person here. My dad um, and his brothers were very involved. Um, my da- my dad's oldest brother was the healthcare power of attorney in all of this. Um, and it was very important that everything was communicated with all of them. Um, the palliative care uh uh, nurse practitioner always followed up with everyone in the family after appointments and after her visits to give updates along the way. She was very good at communicating with them. Um, every time she was there, she would invite them into the appointment even. You could join via telehealth uh, into his appointments, and even if you couldn't make it in person, she was able to um, video people in, which was which was really helpful. Um, they also split up. You know, I think that caregiver burnout is a real issue. And I think it's important to lean on people for for help. Um, I saw this, um, and sorry, dad, if you're listening, um, I saw this in my dad. um, Specifically, you know, he is somebody who wants to help everybody. um, And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. um, But sometimes he doesn't help himself. Um, And I think that at one part in our journey with my grandfather, he was feeling a little overwhelmed. He was going over there very, very often. um, and not because nobody was willing to help, because he didn't ask for help. Um, and I think it hit a point where he was exhausted. And um, we also had other things going on in our family. My sister has a new baby. Um, there were, you know, a lot of things going on in our uh, immediate family. And um, my dad ended up asking for help, which was a, a great part in this journey that it's really important to share is don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, you know, they started splitting up duties and splitting up weekends and the brothers would rotate of this is your weekend to do groceries on Sunday. Um, and they kind of went about it that way and started splitting up the days and the weeks. Um, it made it a lot easier so that, you know, it wasn't your duty to go over and do groceries, but you could go over any time during the week and have a meal. Um, he was in independent living, so he, um, so he had meals on site and you could join him. Um, we also had nursing, private duty nursing in place as well. So he had um, a nurse who was visiting him twice a day and helping him with bathing and um, house chores and um, and just personal care needs, which was really wonderful. Um, but don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, I think that that's the, one of the biggest parts of that this part of the journey in the palliative care world um, that we learned, and it also carried on throughout the rest of um, the rest of this as well. So I think that that was really important. What else was were the important steps along the way? Because I mean, I think doing this show, we kind of think we have a good grasp on things, but there's there's just so much involved with caregiving. I mean, and you've you're you have a demanding job and Mm -hmm. uh, other responsibilities as well. It's really hard to sit back and sort of plan every detail on how you're going to provide care for another person. Uh, But there may be some little things along the way that you look back on and you're like, oh, man, that that was a big help or that was a game changer for us. I think first call it – finding a private duty nurse, um, even if it's just for a couple days a week, um, it gives you the relief of not having to do the every single day. Um, I think that was a very pivotal moment for us is, is bringing in private duty help. Um, you know, we had a, someone on the show a couple weeks ago, Carrie Yaya. Um, this is a great resource in the community. If, if Private duty aides are not cheap. Um, it is really, really expensive. Um, and I'm, I'm very aware of that, um, from his care, but, um, 
Karyaya is an alternative to that, which is amazing. It's a lot cheaper. Um, I think it was $15 an hour, which is about half the price of what we were paying. Um, but I, I suggest people reach out and, and think about those kinds of resources, because even if it's someone to just sit with your loved one while you go to the grocery store or while you go get your nails done um, or get a massage or go on a walk or, you know, anything to do for yourself, I think that's really important Um piece of this journey. Another part of this that was really, really difficult and um, in a moment that sticks in my mind is having to talk to my grandfather about you. I don't think you can live here anymore. Um, We've done, we did it twice. Um, So moving out of his, um, the house that my dad grew up in um, and into the independent living was our first step. And that was huge. Uh, It was horrible. Um, I won't lie. It was really, really hard. Um, My grandmother did not want to go. Um, She was very miserable about it. She wanted to stay in that house every single day for the rest of her life. Um, She really hated the idea of moving into an independent living facility uh, my grandpa was lukewarm on it. He knew that they couldn't be where they were anymore, so he was a little bit warmer to the idea. Um, once they moved in, she declined pretty quickly. Um, she just wasn't happy. Um, I think it got to a point where they were doing more social activities at the facility, um, and the facility was really wonderful about getting them involved and, and checking in on them and making sure they were meeting people. Um, and so she started to, to do a little bit better, but she wasn't happy about it. Um, So that was a hard one because it also took a lot more on the caregiver, on us, to be there um, and to to be more present. Um, And once she passed away, you know, he was always one that was a little bit quieter when she was around or she would make him be quiet. (laughs) Um, And when she passed away, he kind of blossomed. Uh, It was really interesting. We were were worried about what would happen um, because they had been together for 67 years, never had a day apart, really, um, which was amazing. except for the times that he was in the hospital. Um, But she would go over with her lipstick on and sit there all day and night with him, even then. Um, So we were worried when when she passed away what would happen. And he actually started making more friends. He started getting out of the room more. Um, He started going to more meals. He started to attend more activities. He was playing cards. He was... Um, he was going to the church He was uh, that they have on site. He was really doing more, I think, um, not having to worry about her um, as much as he was. Um, she was blind, so she was getting lost, and it was just very difficult, I think, for him, and it was very stressful for him. Um, so, But placement was very difficult. Um, so that was their journey to independent living. But after that, there was the next conversation, which he couldn't take care of himself as well anymore. And we started bringing in the private duty caregivers, but it got to a point where we were starting to think, we're going to have to move you again. Um, we need to go up a level, maybe assisted living. And it even got to the point where we were talking about uh, skilled nursing homes um, for him. And as we thought further out down the line, how are we going to care for him um, through his final days? And to us, that looked like potentially um, – skilled nursing. And thankfully, we had uh, palliative care. There was a social worker. Um, Also, when we transferred him to hospice, there was a social worker that was helpful um, for us to talk through with that situation and what that looked like. Um, But those were probably the most difficult moments, uh, having those conversations. And I suggest having those conversations earlier. Um, It's funny, I was out with my mom last night, and we were talking about this. She was like, where are you going to put me when I get old? Um, Where are you going to put me? Uh, (laughs) 
she's not that old um and she's very fine she's fine she can manage herself um but she's very worried about where i'm gonna put her um but it's it's interesting because to have that conversation now because when it came time for us to have it it was very late in the game um and he was very uh not thrilled about having that conversation because he was very comfortable um and he didn't want to admit he also did not want to admit that he needed help just like my dad um so that was that was difficult yeah and it's it's always a challenge um we, we talk about it on this show a lot and it sounds easy. Hey, have these conversations, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's, it's hard when you know that the other party doesn't want to have this conversation right. at all. Not now, not ever. Um, but it's, it's something that you gotta do. Um, because otherwise you're in a crisis situation and you're trying to make these decisions. And sometimes then you're trying to make the decision for the other person and then then you get into a, a really sticky sticky situation often because you're you're just guessing at that point uh, as opposed to you know really having this conversation and there there's ways to kind of back into it and kind of mm-hmm. you know sprinkle it doesn't have to be a full on sit down intimidating thing but at at some point you really need to broach that subject because uh, the, the alternative is is not anywhere where someone wants to be. Exactly. And I think, you know, it, it came down to us. Uh, so he was still in independent living. We admitted him onto hospice, um, which I'll, I'll get to the other piece of this placement thing in a minute. But um, uh, we get him onto hospice. He actually was COVID positive when we admitted him onto hospice. It was part of his quick decline. Um, he got COVID. He wasn't very symptomatic, but it was really affecting his lungs. You could tell it was um, really creating issues with the heart failure, the fluid in his lungs. Um they admitted him onto hospice. They reviewed his medications. He was able to stay on. I, I just want to clarify this. There's a lot of people that think you go onto hospice and you and you can't take any medications anymore, and that's not the truth. Um, he was. They reviewed his medications right at the admission. They said these are the things we're going to cover, which was pretty much everything, um, except for like vitamins, which is random. Um, so we bought the vitamins. It's not. It wasn't that big of a deal. Um, so I just want to clarify that myth about hospice that you have to go off every everything. You don't. Um, and they also covered supplies. He got a bedside commode. They got a, a hospital bed for him. Um, don't go out and buy your hospital bed. If you're going on hospice, they provide one. Don't don't go spending your money on supplies. Um, they even bring in, um, you know, care supplies, uh, wipes, and um, all of those things are provided. Uh, they brought in oxygen, uh, a nebulizer treatment machine, um, and they brought all of that to his house that day. Um, it was a day admission, uh, 24 hours after he decided he was admitted, which was amazing. Um, And then they started bringing in CNAs, um, uh, certified nursing assistants who were coming in regularly to add on to the additional private aid service that we had. He had a nurse case manager. We had social workers. We had spiritual care people. There was volunteers. Um, You know, he had a veteran ceremony where a veteran came and presented him with a certificate and a flag. It was very sweet. Um, But this was like the next step in our care. And I want to talk a little bit more about the placement issue that we had because that didn't end there. Um, you know, he was still in independent living at this point, but we were still having issues. And it, the conversation had continued from that. And um, it was a big piece of our next step in his journey. And I want to make sure that we have time to talk, to talk about that as well. Yeah, let's get into that. We do have to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. And Mary is, is kind of getting the spotlight on the show today because we're talking about her caregiving journey with her grandfather who passed away in December. Uh, we've mentioned him frequently on the show. And, you know, Mary, I'll, I'll give some behind-the-scenes uh, facts here. We, there were often times where you'd come in uh, to record the show and, you know, you'd be pretty stressed and you'd be telling me about uh, things that you were going through on your caregiving journey. And, you know, maybe maybe the thing that sticks out most in my mind is just I, I could, like, see the stress levels on your face when you were dealing with your issue with placement with your grandfather, like that was that was a very stressful time for you and your family. Yeah, I it was the hardest time. And I know that there are so many others out in the community that are dealing with this. So I just want to say we're right there with you. Um, we we got him into the independent living. He was there. He was very comfortable. We actually moved him rooms after my grandmother's grandmother died from a two bedroom down to a one bedroom. To, to save us a little bit of money. Um, but then there was the need for him to have additional care. So we had started talking about assisted living or skilled nursing facilities, and we admitted him onto hospice to try to help um, get some things into place, get additional care into place, get us additional help with social workers um, and have them involved. And I can't express how wonderful that was to have a social worker by our side helping us, um, helping guide us in this situation, helping us with placement um, and thinking about the what next. Uh, she answered so many questions from my dad and his brothers and um, and really helped us figure out the what next. And she even had the conversations with my grandfather without us around. He's very stubborn. He was so stubborn. Um, and I think having her to be able to talk with him directly when we weren't around um, was something that was really helpful because he was a little more honest with her than he was with us, which is not unusual. Um, uh, especially he had a veteran attitude, which was very much n- not giving up. And I think that there was a lot of um, there was a lot of what we were experiencing was that is he he didn't want it didn't want to look like he was giving up or that he couldn't do it. Um, and he expressed that with her better than he expressed it with us, which was um which was hard. Um, and then we hit a crisis point. Um, he fell, uh, he fell, uh, late at night. Um, he made it to a pull cord in his room to let somebody know he fell. Um, and he call, they called the ambulance to get him off the floor. Um, just because that's kind of a standard protocol. If you're in a facility and you fall, they call the ambulance. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, he does not want to go to the hospital ever again. And he's on hospice at this point. Um, so they they got him back up in his chair. He um, he was okay. He was very bruised up, um, and he was in a lot of pain, but he was okay. So hospice came the next day, um, not even twelve hours later. Um, they were there. They got him. Made sure they had him on pain meds so that it, you know he was pretty bruised up. He was not in any pain at that point. But even then, he did not admit to any of us that he fell. Um, we knew that he fell because the facility called my dad. Um, but he would not talk about it with anybody. He didn't want anyone to think that he couldn't be where he was. Um, 
unfortunately, it was about a week before my brother's wedding. And so my whole family was, you know, very busy. Um, We were all busy. We couldn't be over there as much. We had family coming into town. We had my brother's wedding, which was a three-day affair. And now we've added in the stress of grandpa, um, who is not doing well. He had taken a recent fall. He's very bruised up. He's not getting around very easy. So in came respite care, which is the most beautiful benefit of hospice. Um, Respite care is um, a a week that we had where they sent him to our inpatient unit, uh, the inpatient hospice home, and took care of him for a week. They, they took him out of the facility. Someone came and picked him up in a transport um, ambulance, pretty much. Um, they picked him up from the facility, and he packed a little bag. Uh, he did not go without a fight. Um, he thought he was leaving forever, um, and he went for respite care at the hospice home. Um, it was wonderful. They've provided all the food. They provided all the supplies. We did not have to pay for nursing care. We did not pay for anything that week. It was a part of the hospice benefit. And for that week, we were able to focus on my brother's wedding, which was amazing. Um, we just were able to cut off as caregivers. And um, it actually even gave the opportunity for my brother and his now wife to be able to go and visit with him um, where he was in the in the inpatient hospice unit and, and sit with him before their wedding and, and talk with him and spend time with him in a much more comfortable environment. So... Um, it was the most beautiful benefit of hospice that, um, you know, in that moment of crisis that we were given. Um, and it was, it was wonderful. Um, so unfortunately while he was in respite, uh, the, the social worker at the hospice home was speaking with their social worker and we realized we cannot move him, um, back to his facility. Um, it was very clear that the fall was something that caused a bigger decline. He was not able to, um, provide any sort of care on his own anymore after the fall. Um, and so going to the respite care at the hospice home, um, it, he declined, he was declining pretty quickly at that point after the fall, he wasn't walking, he wasn't getting up anymore. He wasn't providing his own care. Um, the fluid was building up a little bit more on his lungs cause he wasn't moving around as much. Um, so it was, uh, kind of a moment of pivot for us of, okay, now we have to talk to you about you can't go back to the facility where you were, unfortunately. Um, and we have to find new placement for you. Um, and the social worker here is going to help us get you to a family care home or a nursing home because we can't provide the same care comfortably or safely. That was the biggest part of this was the safety. Um, you're going to fall again and we can't have that. Um, so we, we can't do this anymore like we were doing it. Um, unfortunately, he took a bigger decline Um And he was at the hospice home for um, a little over a month and a half. Um, And he we were trying to find a placement. And for all those out there that are going through the same situation, you know how difficult it is. Um, We spent a good few weeks trying to find him placement at a nursing home. Um, He was a two person assist, which means it takes two people to do anything for him. Um, And that's very hard to find placement for. And I know that there's others out there that are going through the same thing. So I want to let you know you're not alone. it is really hard to find placement right now. There's not a lot of beds. Um, there are There's a shortage of nursing. So when someone's a two-person assist, that means two nurses it, it takes to care for that person. Um, when they need something, that's very, very difficult for a facility to agree to. Um, and so it was really hard for us. Um, and by the time you know, that we started trying to find placement and, and figure it out. He took a sharper decline and 
he went on what they call GIP level of hospice care, which is general inpatient, which means his symptoms would not have been controlled um, at a nursing facility. So he actually stayed right there at the hospice home uh, until his last days of life, um, which was a blessing for us because he was very comfortable where he was. Um, he was very, very um, used to all the, the staff at that point. He had made a lot of good friends, the volunteers um, who were sitting with him regularly. He made a lot of really good friends. Um, and he was very close with the staff. And it was um, we were just very thankful that he was able to stay there at the end. Um, that doesn't always happen like that, though. I just want to put that out there. It doesn't always happen like that. But um, we were very, very thankful um, for, for the staff and everyone that cared for him. There was a spiritual care counselor who was very in tune with my grandpa's spiritual care needs. Um, they did last rites there. Um, he helped us with funeral planning. He actually, the spiritual care counselor actually was, um, the, actually presided over the, uh, the actual service, which was wonderful because he became very close with him in the last, um, month and a half of his life. And so that, that was a very special thing to be able to have that spiritual care counselor, um, conduct the service for us and, and because he could share a lot of personal stories, which was really nice. Um, and then in the last days of his life, you know, we were all, all there, um, cause family could visit any time. Um, and you know, we talk about it sometimes on the show, but there's this final surge of energy. And in the last few days he wasn't really awake. Um, and they, he was being managed very well. Um, his pain and some of the symptoms he were having were um, very difficult, and so it was it was good that he was very comfortable. Um, and then the day before he died, not even twelve, maybe eighteen hours um, before he died, he had a final surge of energy, and he woke up and he was talking, um, and he was laughing, and he was telling jokes, and it was just wild, but so special. Um, and thankfully, there were my dad, sister, and I were were there. It didn't last very long; it was only a few hours. Um, but we were there and be able to share that that time. And I think it was really important as I look back on it um, before we talk a little bit more in the next segment about good death and what is good death. Um, I look back and those moments in that last um, month and a half were a good pause. You know, you, you scurry around as a caregiver all the time and you feel like you're always rushing around trying to find placement, trying to do this, trying to admit them onto this, talking to doctors, doing these things. But pause and you know, that final surge of energy, sadly, was our pause. Um, and I wish I paused earlier um, and 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 spent that time and paused and just um, just that respite care was really important. And I I can't express that enough for all the caregivers out there. Just pause, enjoy the moments, enjoy the memories, be in the moment and and live that moment and um, don't take it for granted. It's it's a very special moment. That's that's wonderful advice, and you know your, your grandfather was certainly lucky to have such a caring, caregiving team around him. Uh, you know your family included, and and the entire staff there at the hospice home. Uh, it just sounds like it was very special. We're gonna continue the conversation here with Mary right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. 
Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, head online to transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. So many resources available to you online. There's ways that you can find out if you want to volunteer as well. Transitionslifecare.org. Org. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we're talking all about Mary's caregiving journey with her grandfather who passed away in December. And uh, Mary, we now want to get into this concept of what is a good death and what is a bad death? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. You know, what is good death? I think that a lot about when I think about my grandfather and others, I, I work at Transitions, I, I see death often. Um, I think in short terms, it's avoiding distress, avoid suffering. Everyone can say that that's a good death. They weren't suffering. Um, Follow someone's wishes. What do they want? Um, But I think that our society as a whole is death phobic. Um, I watch people really shy away about conversations about dying. Um, When I brought up my grandfather, um, and I was like, oh, he's he's at the hospice home. You'd see people like, oh, no, like, oh, I hope he's okay. Um, And, you know, there's just a lot of phobia around death. And, um, you know, there's this whole movement right now of of death positive and talking about dying. And um, I know, Jason, you're you probably never thought you'd be on the radio talking about death. <laughs> it's <laughs> what really awkward. Dreams of, right? <laughs> it's probably a little bit awkward. You know, it's a it's a very um, it's a hard thing to talk about. And I think if you ask what is good death to patients, family, healthcare providers, it will show different importances of, of what's important to them. For my grandfather, as the actual patient, it included his spiritual care, as I mentioned, and feeling really complete with his life. He constantly talked about everything he's accomplished in 96 years. And I know the hospice home staff was um, so gracious to sit and listen to him sometimes for hours. Um, he told everyone who entered his room, all of his stories. Um, his last rites in Catholic faith were top of his list of good death core elements. Um, for us as caregivers, I focused and my dad and his brothers focused on his quality of life. We wanted to make sure he was comfortable in the best place that he could be. Uh, we picked up his favorite foods. I was, you know, um, he had a filet mignon in the last week. Uh, he um, he was kind of shouting out orders at us of this is what he wanted to eat. We were running all over the place, making sure we had what he needed. Um, he even asked the custodian. He gave the custodian some cash under the table uh, and sent him out for an Arby's sandwich at one point. We found that out weeks after he died because um, the poor custodian didn't want to get in trouble um, with, the, with the staff there. So, um, But it was really sweet. And his doctors overlapped with the comfort. The, quote, morphine fairy, uh, his nurse, <laughs> helped out in his final days. Um, she was very sweet and approachable about it and was like, the morphine fairy is here. Um, and it was really important that morphine helped him with his breathing. Um, you know, when he was really struggling to breathe, he didn't understand what, what was what could help him, and he didn't understand that morphine actually is what helps you breathe. Um, so that was wonderful, and that was a good death for him in and, and, and this way. Uh, he was comfortable. We were very prepared. Um, we made sure that we, had, that we were able to provide him that. Um, 
But the greater the discussion around these topics, the better the outcomes are. Um, I ask myself some days, could we have done more or better? And it's hard not to think about that when you when you turn around and look back at the journey. Um, in the moment, like I said, we're scurrying around. Um, but in hindsight, you you always think about everything you've done. And I've done a little digging to try to find some of those answers for me. And there isn't much. In Turkey and death phobia, there's not much out there about it. Um, but how to die well based on some things I've come across, conversations I've had with our social workers and the chaplain. Um, first and foremost, as a caregiver, what your loved one needs the most is to be heard. For grandpa, that meant listen to my stories, listen to my wishes. I don't wanna go to the hospital anymore. Don't challenge that. Listen to what I wanna eat for dinner. Listen to who I want to visit me. This is what he wanted fulfilled. That was good death to him. He wanted to be heard. Um, pain, experience as little pain as possible. It's not just physical pain, though. It's psychosocial pain. It's spiritual pain. And it come. It came to a point that all my grandfather focused on was his spiritual pain. He needed to feel complete. Um, he was a very stubborn veteran, so physical pain. We actually had to look for nonverbal cues to see it. Um, he would never say he was in pain, not once. Um, but the nurse could see his the furrow on his brow, um, or she could see the way he was grimacing when she was helping move him. Um, and he would never say he was in pain. Um, but he really needed to be right spiritually. That was his focus. Um, and you could see the relaxed uh, position after he had his last rites um, two days before he died. He really relaxed. Um, that was really, really important for him. Um, and, you know... I also revisited over the show. We've talked about things before, like Four Things That Matter Most, which is a book by Ira Bylock. And the four basic messages that you should consider in that book that they talk about, I love you, thank you, forgive, I forgive you, and please forgive me. And I don't want to dive into family too deep, but this really came in close in his final days, and I thought about every one of these things so often. Um, death created a space for, for people in our family to express these things, um, which was really important. Um, and something else I knew comforted my grandfather and us was reviewing his life for meaning. Um, that was something that was really important. It's great to be surrounded by your loved ones that show um, great meaning, but also he told many stories about to show that he has contributed as a grandfather, as a father, a member of the armed forces, the community, um, a colleague. His friends from IBM were visiting him in his final days and playing cards. Um, and as a friend, he told everyone who spoke with him stories about all of these roles that he played. And it really made him feel at peace. So listening, he, they want to be heard again. Um, so just just listen. And at some point, it came time to hand over control. His pain was breaking through. We had to have tough conversations about what's happening next. This is why we're going to do morphine. Um, he had to be comfortable knowing that we were by his side to make sure he was comfortable, even when he couldn't express anything anymore. Um, and things like going for respite, um, that was actually helping him keep his wishes. We had to do respite so that you could um, keep your wishes of not going to the hospital. Um, so we had to reassure him that we were doing the right thing. And he was combative often. Um, and then until he reached the next step and he realized it was right. So it was always in the moment he was mad um, until the pretty girl showed up in the transport vehicle. <laughs> and then he was like, okay, I'll do it. Um, he So it was just... You know, it was a process, and it wasn't easy for anyone in the family that was involved. Um, but we knew in hindsight that we did the right thing to make sure that his good death was possible. 
you know, the days aren't always good. He had bad days too, but with hospice by the side and um, we were easily turning symptoms around. And in the very end, I felt very proud of everything we did to, to make sure that we honored his wishes. We heard him. We did what he want um, and, and made sure of that. And I think, um, you know, I've done some research since then to, you know, what is a good death? And um, I have found that there's some core themes to think about. Um, there's 11 of them. Uh, preferences for a specific dying process, a pain-free status, your spirituality or religion, your emotional well-being, feeling like your life is complete. Like I said, he was telling all these stories about all the roles he's played in his life. Treatment preferences, dignity, that was a big one for him. Um, you know, not wanting to give up, showing that he wanted to keep his dignity and his pride. Um, family, quality of life, relationship with your healthcare providers. He became very close with his nurses um, and, and the physicians. And then other, it kind of leaves a, a, a blank space of other. Um, and the top three themes among all of these groups, you know, between healthcare providers, patients, and families, and the preferences for dying is the pain-free status, emotional well-being, um, and, and the process itself. And so I think it's important, you know, Jason, when you think about, you, you don't think about death often, but you know, where is your preference at? You know, what, what's important to you? And it's, it's a hard thing to think about now because we're very young, um, but it's important to talk about it. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, it's not something that you fully grasp until you've kind of witnessed the process. I mean, I think my, my preference uh, probably goes along with most people where I think, uh, I don't really want to be a burden to anyone. Right. You know, I, I want things to go smoothly. But the reality is, is that, that that usually doesn't happen. And even if you don't want to be a burden to someone, like that's that's not realistic. Like you, your spouse or your kids aren't going to be like, oh, all right, well, he doesn't want to be a burden. We're just going to go on and do our own thing. Like, no, that's, they want to help and they want to be there with you and care for you and love you like your family did. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think it's important to really lay out your expectations, um, you know, having those hard conversations early. Um, and, you know, I, honestly, I, I never really sat down and thought about it until doing the show here today. I mean, I've thought about death, but like, realistically, mm -hmm. what that would look like, what my priorities would be emotionally, spiritually, when it comes to pain and, and mm -hmm. physical being, um, you know, that's, that's something I need to sit down and do after the show. Yeah. I, we've got some time, but, um, you know, just have the conversations early. That's the lesson I've learned. Um, have the conversations early and make sure that everyone is heard um, because everyone has different um, parts of this role in the caregiver journey. So just make sure everyone's heard. It's wonderfully said. And Mary, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, I really hope that um, there's some folks listening out there who um, – found some learning lessons in the story that you've shared, and hopefully it helps them along the way on their own caregiving journeys. If you missed any part of this episode and want to go back and listen to it, uh, please go to WPTF.com, go to the podcast section. There you can find Aging Matters. You can re-listen to this episode and all of our other episodes in the past that may be helpful for you. We're out of time for today. Thank you so much for listening. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great day. 
You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.